Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. All right, well, let's kick this thing off. Welcome to this week's episode. We're here in the virtual Zoom world with Elizabeth Cambry and Angie Fenton. Ladies, First and foremost, how are your families? Are you guys okay? You guys don't have masks on or look like you're on your deathbed. So things seem to be going okay. Things are going okay from my end. I've got two little girls and they're both healthy, running around. You may hear them in the background. (laughs) Okay, nice, nice. Well, that's good. Angie, what about you? Yeah, same here. I mean, we're all healthy, thankfully. And, you know, learning the whole homeschool thing and all that. My husband's also working from home. So it's been interesting. He's downstairs on a call right now. My daughter's downstairs on her Zoom call. Okay. And I'm upstairs on mine, so. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's funny. Actually, my daughter this morning in her school did like a Zoom picnic. She's four, so it's just like it's like a preschool thing. And yeah, really, you know, and we certainly want to talk about, you know, sort of the new norm with regards to socializing and teaching and, and how we're networking. But yeah, it's, you know, we're, we've been fortunate. My wife has been, you know, it's crazy because I give being at home for this period of time, being accessible to my family and kids, like I'm sitting here. So it's almost like a tease because I'm sitting here working and my kids want to come up and play, but to be, you know, around my wife and my kids and see how hard my wife actually works being a mother has been extremely eye opening. So a big shout out to all the moms out there. You guys kick ass and it's a harder job than anything I've ever done. So with that being said, I'm glad to hear you guys are doing, doing well, Elizabeth. So we actually met back when you were with another employer and you're a huge supporter of the podcast. So I want to personally thank you because, you know, without you and pushing your group to, to do the podcast sponsorship, I may not be here today. So thank Absolutely. you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's been good. Cause, so you, you knew Mark LaCour before that, right? I did. And I just loved how easy it was to stay abreast of things, driving to work every morning, listening to Mark. So I was like, yeah. this is the new, the new norm. We have to get on. On yeah. the, the wagon. The OGGN wagon. Yeah. No, yeah. that that's awesome. Mark's a great guy. And yeah, we met basically through LinkedIn yeah. and him and, and Jacob Corley. So uh, yeah, you know, appreciate the support. Again, I just want to put it out there. So uh, before we keep going, let's take a quick break. If you like coffee and you don't want to pay for it, I have a deal for you. Once this quarantine's over, I'm offering to pay for a coffee for anyone that leaves a review. I always enjoy engaging with my audience and supporting the show. But if not, that's cool too. I'm extremely grateful that you're listening. Angie, let's, so I got to give you some props. You've got the oil field lamp in the background there. I see that. Uh, that's a classic. Are you, I mean, I don't know if everyone's going to see this, but I'm going to take a screenshot because I think it's super cool. But where did, is that, where did you get that? You know what? I got it at, you know, I'm in Oklahoma. Oh, okay. And it was just like one of the furniture places had it. And I okay. was like, you know, anytime I see anything oil field, I'm like, gotta have it. Right. You yeah. Know? So nice. yeah, especially if it's something cool like that. So yeah, I yeah. mean, it's not the most authentic, you know, rendition of it, but yeah, I, I like it. I thought it was super cool. For and I've actually seen awesome. like multiple people have the same one. So no way. 
yeah it's mass production i mean it's nothing <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's cool. It, it adds character to the home office, which, you know, shout out to your husband. He's obviously letting you have the home office today. So it's, that's cool. I can imagine if my wife was working too, like, you know, had to be in an office and be in a room, it'd be chaotic, but nonetheless. So Angie, what about you? So tell us a little bit about your background and then we'll move into yeah. Elizabeth. But you know, you're in Oklahoma City. How'd you get started? And tell us a little bit about the path that you've had. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah, so I graduated Marietta College in 1997 with a petroleum engineering degree. So I grew up in Ohio. I'm a Yankee. Um, Got a lot of flack for that in the field when I first started. Um, So I started with Summerjay. It was Dowell at the time. I started with Dowell in East Texas, Longview. And, you know, that's, I was a field engineer. I was a frack engineer and was there for about two and a half years. That's where I met my husband. So, you know, he's, he's from East Texas as well. Okay. And Summerjay started to come in, coming on board and the stuff started changing from, from orange to blue. And they transferred me as a field service manager to Kansas. We lived there for a year. Okay. And then they transferred me to Oklahoma City, where I worked on pressure transient analysis. Did okay. that for about four years. So basically doing post-frack evaluation. At the time, this was before the shale world really was blowing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of dating myself there, but uh, <laughs> it was, you know, we were still looking at vertical well bores where we could actually shut in these wells and evaluate the, the pressure responses and determine how effective the fracks were. So ah. it was super cool, fun stuff. Okay. And so- then I actually left Summer J and went to go work for Devon here in Oklahoma City as well. So I've been in Oklahoma City for what, 18, 19 years now? Cool. And love it. And worked for Devon for about five years and worked for Sandridge. For three and a half, four years, I then was faced with my first layoff in the industry after Sandridge sold their Permian Basin properties. You know, that's where I was working. That's where I spent most of my career is Permian Basin and East Texas and North Texas. Mm. Until the last probably six years of my career, I went back to the service side, working for different companies as a technical advisors, technical directors, sales, account managers, all that kind of stuff for different, mostly smaller companies that are looking to market themselves, make a name for themselves, try to figure out how to market their technology. So I've actually worked from home for the past five and a half, six years. So okay. this is actually my office. So ah, got <laughs> it. yeah, no, my husband, he, he's never really worked from home. He's an IT guy outside of the industry. So he's, this is his first time really working from home and he knows this is my, this is my space. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so leave it alone and don't come in here until I tell yeah, you it's exactly. okay. No, this is my little hole, my little hidey hole up here. So nice. Um, well, so yeah, uh, so that's, that's me. That's who I am. Awesome. No, that's, that's cool. And I always highly respect folks that have, you know, worked in the field and have worked their way out of the field. You know, I can identify with that big time being on the drilling side, working drilling rigs. So Elizabeth, let's tell the listeners too about kind of your background and and sort yeah. of your journey leading you up to in your yeah. fancy virtual living room here. <laughs> so I, I graduated with five degrees back in 2008. Okay. I did four of them at, at the same time. So it was, let's see if I can do it in math or in alphabetical order. We have chemical engineering, Chinese, yeah. economics. What else do I have? Mathematics. Oh, and international affairs. I can't do it in alphabetical order. Wow. That's, that's a and lot then, regardless. I have to tell you how I got into the oil industry because it's kind of it's kind of funny. Yes, that's always the I, best part. Let's hear it. I thought I was going to end up in renewables because that's what I was into when I was in chemical engineering. So I did the first four that were non-engineering, and then I went back and completed the engineering before I graduated within like a three-year time frame. Okay. So it was 2008 when I got out, and 
there was this Craigslist ad and it didn't say which company it was, but the ad was, are you willing to work 24 hours at a time? Will you work in really harsh conditions? Are you willing to wear boots? And I said, oh yeah, sure, whatever. And I applied to it. And two months later, Schlumberger calls and they're like, do you remember applying? And I said, no, but I'm interested. Yeah. And walked to the interview and had a, had a job before I left. No way. So started with Big Blue. Yeah. Yeah. In the Middle East. <laughs> okay. Wow. How was yeah. your experience over there? You know, it was interesting. So I actually, when they did give me the offer, it was to go work in China. So that would have complemented my Chinese degree that I got. Yeah. Wait, but, before you keep going, can you, in Chinese, or well, in Mandarin no, maybe? <laughs> or how does that work? Is that, am I saying that right? Can you say, my name is Elizabeth and I love oil and gas? Oh, well, the German, the minister, Kang Yiling. I have no idea how to say oil and gas in Chinese. <laughs> what? That's pretty good. That's better than most people. Funny. So <laughs> my tones are so bad now. But I was on my way. We have to do this like training. Angie, you probably did OFS1. So That's I so had good. to do that in Kuala Lumpur before I went to location. So I was like the very first week. And the very last day of OFS1, they told me, oh, we're not going to send you to China anymore we're going to send you to the Middle East <laughs> and we're going to send you wow. to Oman. And so I had no time to prepare. I had no idea where it was going or what I was getting myself into. Mm. So it was just fly by the seat of your pants for four years, working and traveling in the Middle East. It was awesome though. Wow. Yeah. So what, what was your favorite part about working over there? So when I worked in Oman, I, was, I lived in a frack caravan essentially. So yeah. it was six weeks, but it really would always turn out to be more than six weeks. It could be like 10 weeks long that you're with that frack crew. And then Schlumberger gave you an airplane ticket to go pretty much. You could fly all the way back home if you wanted, but I would just go travel for three weeks. Mm -hmm. So for a year and a half, I traveled every, let's just say every six weeks I got to travel. And I would huh. travel for three weeks at a time. Wow. Where's the best place or where's your favorite place that you traveled to? Thailand. Okay. Yeah. Why is that? that was I don't think I stopped smiling the minute I got to Thailand. No way. <laughs> the beaches, just the food. The food. I mean, it was amazing. So I was there for three weeks and I just island hopped and it was. Wow. Okay. Yeah. My mother actually went there, but I've never had the pleasure of going there. Angie, it sounds like you've been there just based off your yeah. kind of reaction. Yeah. I have friends of mine that grew up in Thailand. Okay. And so they invited us actually on a family vacation. So I took my then three-year-old, my husband, my nephew, and my parents to Thailand because it was super cheap to travel, you mm. know, like four-star, five-star yeah. hotels for like 50 bucks a night. So yeah, so we That's went there crazy. and spent two weeks traveling with my friend and her family. And so they literally like ordered food for us at restaurants, explained to us what it was, set uh, up every, the whole entire itinerary. It was amazing. Probably okay. Coolest experience ever. I didn't stop smiling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the pictures that you see online or whatever, like, it, I don't know anyone who's been there who hasn't like absolutely loved it. So I have a question for each of you then being that yeah. Elizabeth, you're here in Houston, right? So yeah. in your respective cities, so Angie in Oklahoma city, what's, is there, what's the best Vietnamese restaurant or do you have any? Oh, I have a story. So there is this restaurant that is Vietnamese in Houston, but they sell crawfish. Okay. And oh, yes. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> we, we went to eat there. It was awesome. But we had a heart attack at the end when we got our bill. So I think we only got five pounds and we paid $100 <laughs> wow. for five pounds of crawfish. 
It that's a lot but for people out there. Was, that's way more than you normally pay. It, yeah, definitely. But this place was on Netflix. So it just became this oh. very popular Vietnamese restaurant that sells crawfish. Which, yeah. what's it called? Oh, I can't remember. I have to go back and look. It's down near in Sugarland. Okay. Huh. Yeah. There is, I think, so my wife, so my wife's from Lafayette, Louisiana. And so obviously like the Southern cooking and, and the crawfish, like that's part of, you know, our, yeah. our home a lot of times. And she got us on to like, we called it Asian style or maybe it was Vietnamese style crawfish. And it's, it is very good. It almost has like, yeah. I find it almost like has like a sweet hint to it for some reason. I don't know. Like maybe it's like the butter, yeah. or like the spices they use different than like southern cajun but angie what about you are there any good vietnamese places in yeah you know so i actually live in norman most, yeah. most people in the only gas industry live in oklahoma city edmond area and things like that yeah so our favorite family place to go to is a place in moore and it's actually a chain i believe it's pho lawn okay. and basically we just go there and my daughter loves the unique plating that they, they do on everything and mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i always i love to cook at home we cook you know, mostly, most of our meals are at home. We don't go out to eat a lot, but there's certain meals or certain, you know, different varieties of food that I won't touch to try to attempt. And one of them is Vietnamese. Right. <laughs> so, so we, we go out for that for sure. Okay. So you know your lanes and you stay in them. I stay in them. I stay in my lane for sure. <laughs> I can respect that. So well, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, the current environment. Obviously, we're limited, you know, social distancing, a quarantine, everyone is fully aware of what we're experiencing. But you guys have really sort of pursued something unique. And a lot of people are now starting to try and do it. But Elizabeth, I remember you posting some things a while ago, once this whole thing started about, you know, these the webinars, and you guys are really hosting like social events on the internet. So tell us a little bit of like how that shifted and really what drove you guys to, yeah. to, to setting this up and, and how you've seen it add value to people, whether they have their job or maybe who they don't. I'd love for you to talk about that. Either well, one I'll, of you can start. I'll start and I'll just add some stuff and then Angie, you can jump in. Yeah. But I would say for both myself and Angie, we've always, well, for the past couple of years, we've had sales roles. Mm-hmm. And so networking is part of what we have to do in our role. And so all of a sudden we find ourselves with in front of COVID-19. And the thing I told myself when, you know, it was, you have to work from home was I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a way to still be successful in network and not let this uh, prevent me from being successful. Right. And what I found when I was reaching out to people, just myself to start networking is like, cow, everyone has time. Everyone's at home. And everyone is bored and they're, they want to network. And so mm-hmm. all of a sudden I found I had a full calendar and could get in with customers that previously I could not, they could not make time on their schedules and I could get more time from them. And then I started doing the Zoom and all of a sudden the relationship started to grow because you're getting a personal snapshot. I mean, you can yeah. see into their lives. And I think that is such a unique opportunity to really get to know folks. Mm-hmm. So 100%, Elizabeth, I, I think that the conversations I'm having now are much more in depth. You have less distractions, right? Because you don't have another meeting that's going to pop up in your calendar usually, or as many, right? You don't mm-hmm. have people coming into your office to distract you or any of that. You don't have, you know, 
different stacks of paperwork on your desk, you know, keep you from the conversation. And, and so you have a more focused audience, I think. And again, yeah, that personal connection. So, you know, people, you get to see what's going on in the background when you're on a Zoom chat or you hear a kid or a, a dog walk in during the Zoom call. And yeah. then you get to have that, you know, oh, you like, you know, you like dogs or whatever, you know, I'm a huge dog lover myself. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you get to create these kind of personal connections that you couldn't do when you're, you know, sometimes sitting in an office or just on a phone call rather right. than video. So, so great. how, I mean, I am like, a social butterfly. I have a hard time sitting in one space at the one time. I mean, are you guys experiencing that or is this really helping fill that void? I could zoom with different people for probably an entire day. Okay. Um, I think it's, it's really fun. Yes. I have to get up. I try to go on three walks a day before work starts, you know, in the middle of the day and then after work Yeah. and I'm doing insanity. So oh, that's to- intense. <laughs> And insane. I've seen yeah, the workouts. Break that out. Yeah. Because yeah. the gym's closed and that's the only at home DVD that I have. <laughs> so yeah, Justin, it sounds like you know Elizabeth pretty well, but she's definitely the definition of being driven. Yeah. <laughs> right? She I mean, is, yeah, big time. So much energy. She brings so much energy to our group. So the women in hydraulic fracturing group that we have, we have basically what we call a steering committee with me, Elizabeth, Mary Van Domlin, and Karen Olson. Yep. And Elizabeth is always that one. And I, I believe, Elizabeth, you're the first one that said, you know, as we're, you know, continuing to have conversations about, you know, what's next for women hydraulic fracturing. When COVID hit, I think, Elizabeth, you were the first one that said, let's do webinars. We've got to connect with our audience right now. Let's not just sit around and wait for the next conference that we can present at or the next, you know, event that we can have, you know, host a, a networking session with. Let's mm-hmm. go ahead and do something right now. There's no reason why we can't. Yeah. And I think... You know, I was all on board right away. So was Karen and Mary. And so it's just kind of blown up. It's been amazing. Like our, you know, we've been active for a little over a year now. We've hosted a few different events. And then these webinars, though, have quadrupled the number of people interested in our group um, that, that want to come and show support to the women in the industry, specifically in hydraulic fracturing, but also want to share technology, want to learn about technology want to gain some soft skills. I mean, we, we have such a diverse group of people. We have, you know, we have students, we have professors, we have retired technical professionals to the industry. We have men and women. I mean, it's, it's international. We started this last webinar we got, we start, we got more and, you know, more internationals what we had seen in the past, but yeah, we've, it's been just super tremendous to see how we were able to grow during this time, it was a perfect opportunity and we definitely took advantage of what was going on and allowed for these awesome opportunities to network. People have loved the breakout areas where we, you know, go into this networking session and they get, you know, four to five people in a room and you're video chatting with them and connecting on LinkedIn with them and sharing your experiences and talking about the webinar that they just listened to and really getting to know each other. And we've gotten tremendous amount of feedback on, you know, thank you so much for providing the content and the place that we can network still. And it's been extremely valuable to a lot of people that, you know, kind of are really looking for that connection. Yeah. Well, it's, it's crazy because, I mean, I started in sales in 2012 and a lot of the sales in networking was generated through, and I started in Denver, was through happy hours, right? So everyone would go or, you know, there's conferences, but 
to me, in my experience and, and a lot of other salespeople that I associate with, we're seeing less and less return on the investment by going out to the bars, doing you know, yeah. the, the, the typical networking events. And so it's neat to see that this has kind of helped hopefully re-energize what it means to network in oil and gas because I think a lot of it, like especially the decision makers, were tired of going out to networking events because all it was was salesmen jumping on them, hopefully connecting with them in a way that they eventually could sell them product or whatever it is. And so this allows you to build a reputation amongst the industry, network with individuals who, you know, it's, it's a little more selective, perhaps it's more dedicated to learning. And then, you know, it's allowing that to scale up into, you know, a networking sort of platform, which is crazy because, you know, things like Zoom and these other video conferencing sort of video recording softwares or, you know, things, they're almost now becoming more of social media platforms versus just like, you know, Skyping with your mom when she's in a different country or uh, so, so the ability to scale up, provide value during these times, the chaos is breeding innovation in what you guys are doing, which is crazy to see that. And so I guess my question is like, once we finally get back to whatever normal is going to look like, people start driving and we go back to these routines that we've been so accustomed to for the, our entire careers. How are you guys then going to shift or what does that look like? Do you see that presenting a challenge to continue no. the growth? No. Well, so for me personally, I think this type of networking is here to stay for me. And I think that, I mean, and I hope that enough people are getting exposed to and comfortable, you know, having their camera on and could spare a few minutes over their lunch break uh, mm-hmm. and network. But for me personally, this is the way that I, it's the most convenient for me to network. Yeah. And I do think there's going to be a transition. So I also chair the SBE Innovate Committee here in the Gulf Coast section. And unfortunately, we've had to either cancel or postpone all of our conferences coming up. Yeah. And I know, Justin, you're probably aware, but all of the major conferences have been either canceled or pushed back. So there's just no way to actually get out there and network right now. Um, I think this type of networking, this could become the new normal. Yeah. Yeah. How do you suppose, and not necessarily like these are your initiatives, but do you think there's a way that companies or groups, organizations can monetize this type of stuff? I mean, is that, or does it present business opportunities as well? It is. So first of all, I want to say one thing, Angie and I had to study Zoom Zoom is a complicated platform and it was not easy. It's not like you can just go do a webinar and then do networking. We spent like an entire day going through the plans, the options, and we're giving feedback to Zoom on how they can improve it. Okay, so that wow. we can have that webinar type of interaction and then do breakout rooms. So it's like you're at a conference where yeah. you're going to hear a keynote speaker and then you can go select who you actually want to get into a breakout room with. And then hop in a room with them like we are right now Mm -hmm. and have those intimate conversations. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. Next, we're going to have virtual reality goggles on and we're going to be like walking around these silly ass rooms. Right. Yeah. 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 (laughs) No, that's, but again, like, are there opportunities? Yeah, go ahead. So, what I see is there's no real cost associated with this. So you lose the cost of the venue feeding people must yeah. want to send your folks lunch or wine, which I send some of my customers wine 
and do happy hours with them over that's, Zoom. That's super cool. A buddy <laughs> of mine, JP genius. Warren, does the same thing. Yeah, yes. yeah. Well, so and here's another thing. I'm throwing my cousin 40th birthday party, and I'm sending everyone that's attending cake so everyone can have cake. No way. Um, okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> that's a but, good um, idea. That's yeah, cute. but there are definitely, it is a way to monetize and then you lose those regional boundaries. You're not limited to only the folks in a certain area and then yep. folks don't have to pay for airplane tickets and they don't have mm-hmm. to pay for hotel rooms. They can pay to attend event online. So for the yeah. folks that are organizing them, all of a sudden it becomes more profitable and then yeah. it is you get more people who can attend because they're not limited in numbers and by the space that you can actually find, which was a big issue finding yeah. large spaces with yep. holiday audiences. And people not willing to sponsor anymore. Like I know for my yeah. company that I work with, like we were looking at the return on investments for different conferences that we'd been at for years. It's like the booth literally is showing no return. And like we, yeah. we have better return on social media campaigns and yes. the podcast that we do internally that which costs pennies on the dollar compared to these right. conferences. So well, that's yeah. exactly that's exactly what we had said when we in my previous job when we decided to sponsor your podcast Justin was mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot of return on having a booth at a conference. No. Sure. So, yeah, so it's yeah, it's interesting. I'd like to hear your thoughts cuz Elizabeth your completions and sort of like yeah. you understand the downhole, Angie you obviously do as well. There's a lot of talk right now, and I'm shifting gears for the listeners, but I want to ask something more on the technical side. So there's a lot of talk about shutting in wells right now. And there's like, you hear the, I'm saying it's an excuse, like don't shut in the well, you could damage it. But for me, you know, coming from Canada, like I could see that applying like SAG D or like heavy oil type stuff. But for unconventionals, like is shutting in wells, like is that tech from a technical standpoint is there data supporting that it's actually going to ruin the reservoir because obviously right now if you live you may live under a rock but you know people are forced to shut in wells we're oversupplied blah 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 so if you get all that then you'll understand why i'm asking the question so i'm going to let angie answer but i'm going to say angie and i had this discussion just this morning because we are seeing a trend happening right now okay um but i'll let angie answer yeah so i think there's some really great opportunities and I, and I hope that a lot of these operators are looking at, okay, when we shut this in, let's make sure this well bore's you know, prepped, you know, so that we don't sour our wells, so that we don't, you know, cause any additional, you know, issues or, or formation damage, right? Because, yeah, I mean, it will, it could ultimately affect the production if you don't have some forethought into shutting in. So if you just walk over, shut the valve in, you know, tell your lease operator to shut it in. Yeah, there's probably going to be a lot of damage to those reservoirs. But, you know, I think this is the time to get with companies, you know, chemical companies, reservoir companies to really evaluate, okay, number one, what can I, how can I prep my well bore, right? So do I want to inject some surfactant, some corrosion inhibitor? What can I inject into my well bore to make sure that I'm prepping my well bore that when I open it back up, we're in a better scenario than what we could have been, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just basically mitigating any damage that could happen and possibly potentially improving some performance by, you know, making sure you're doing the right reservoir analysis. There's also a lot of data that can be, that can come from these long-term, potentially long-term shut-ins, right? For, so my background, I mentioned the pressure transient analysis part of it. It's a little bit harder to evaluate an unconventional, you know, these long lateral 
sections to evaluate those pressure responses and really get good data from it. Mm-hmm. But it's still data that we didn't have before. And so we have a really unique opportunity right now to gather some, you know, either bottom hole or even surface data, bottom hole preferred, of course, pressure response data to really evaluate what might be happening in our reservoir. Yeah. Evaluate, you know, the frack effectiveness and just the reservoir response, even evaluating some of the frack hits and things like that. So a lot of those things that have happened to that reservoir, pressure data can give you a lot of clues about what's what's happened and, and what will happen and the potential for your reservoir. Interesting. No, that's a great answer. Thanks for that. It's ironic because, you know, over the last year or so, I would say more than 50% of the operators have removed chemicals like surfactants, they control aids from their fracturing package. And so a lot of folks- Why is that? that Cost. And then just the magnitude, the size of, well, there's a couple of factors. The size of the treatment and cost also comes into play, but there's that move to produce water. So when you move to produce water surfactants, do they function at those lower dose rates mm. that they did in fresh water? So now does it become extremely, or just more too expensive to include them? Gotcha. So we did see this trend of just operators taking out every chemical that they could possibly take out from that package. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that market just it was a dying market. I mean, yes, you did see some companies come in with new types of surfactants that did work, that do work in produced water, but it was still a struggle. And so it's interesting to see now that even though there are some hard times ahead of us, that there still could be a potential market as folks do shed in their wells. Yeah, no, it's a serious conversation because all this happened so fast. It's not like anyone yeah. really had enough time to spend on the R&D. And then on top of that, you're having to lay people off. So your manpower goes right. down. And so it's, it's kind of, it's one of those things like everyone wants solutions and, and data and, and, you know, analytics, but then it's like, well, we just don't have the bandwidth to, to put all hands on deck because we don't have many hands left. Right. So yeah. I could, I, I would suspect that to become a challenge. What does, yeah. what does the future of completions and kind of, you know, look like with regards to unconventionals? Because obviously from a balance sheet perspective, this whole shale revolution has turned a lot of people with money to very little money and to not get, go too far down the business rabbit hole. But, you know, just, I'll speak on the drilling side. We're at, you know, around a little under 500 rigs. I think today we're probably going to go down. I would be willing to guess anywhere from 150 to 200 drilling rigs in the lower 48, which if you're not drilling as many wells, you're not completing as many wells. You know, does conventionals and EOR, you know, take precedence? Yeah. I mean, like, what does that look like for from your guys' perspective? So I'm hearing more, I mean, 2015, you saw a lot of folks talking about refrac, hmm. a lot of investigation on the effectiveness of them. And I am hearing more and more operators cutting all of their plans for new drills, but they do still have plans to go back in and refracture wells. Definitely EOR, but if we can get enough out of it versus the cost of the treatment. Um, right. So there's still, I mean, that is, we knew that, that there is a lot of innovation that still needs to be had around EOR. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, I see that being important, especially as we yeah. go down the road. Cause yeah, I don't Yeah. It, <laughs> there's so and much then, uncertainty. So I always, I mean, I'm just always curious on people's perspective on those. Well, with new completes, even, I think there's just going to be a more strict adherence to applying engineering, which is always fun for engineers, frack engineers, reservoir engineers, that they actually get to apply their 
skill sets yeah. rather than, you know, abide by that pump and pray or cookie cutter type of <laughs> schedule. Which yes. Takes all the fun of being a frack engineer out of Yeah. Yeah, when you've got when you've got rig after rig after rig after yeah. frack after frack after frack, and it's just keep on going because it's all yeah. about you know getting that well online as quick as possible, right? Yeah. Uh, when you've got that going on, there's not a lot of engineering that can happen, right? Um, mm-hmm. Now is a great opportunity, you know, making lemonade out of lemons here. You know, right. <laughs> essentially, yeah. is that now these engineers have a great opportunity to do lookbacks to evaluate those frac designs, to really take a look at what we've done over the past few years and what worked, what didn't work. And then, you know, do some evaluation while these wells are shut in, looking at costs, looking at learning about technology, right? Like we talked about earlier, this is such a great opportunity to sit in. I love, I sat on on Stratum's formation damage webinar at lunch today. Super interesting. But, you know, there's lots of these webinars available. So now's the time these engineers can really start digging into some of the technology that they didn't have the time to really research and dig into. And rather than reading the SPE paper, which again, SPE has actually reduced the cost of their downloads on their things, I think to $5.99 a paper or something like that. Um, But so great opportunity to do that. But I don't like to read. I, I mean, I'll read an abstract and then it's really hard for me to stick to reading. I love podcasts, webinars. It's quick. It's interactive and you get a lot of knowledge from them. So mm-hmm. that's, that's what it's about right now. Yeah. And I'm actually excited to see some of the transitions that I'm not, okay, let's take it back. I'm not overly excited, but I'm optimistic about transitions that could potentially happen over the next year in terms of more sustainability being introduced into how we are completing our wells because that okay. was on the agenda. But now I do think there is a platform for that to actually happen. Yes. Now. Yeah. There's different factors that feed into that. I won't go into detail on those, but yeah. Yeah. No. And it's, I mean, I think the bubble was about to burst. I think our industry was in need of some serious change. And unfortunately this whole COVID thing was just the needle to burst the yeah. bubble. But I do think as a, as an industry, we're going to come out of it a lot stronger. And I think companies are, are really going to have to, like, I think it's, and it's, it's sad to say it, but I think a lot of companies are going to have to just get driven into the dirt and never come back. Um, right. Because our industry is just so over leveraged on debt and hell for the majority of Americans, we are too. Like it's just, right. Right. we have to get back to the fundamentals of business and generating free cash flow <laughs> and, uh-huh. and becoming innovative and, and not spreading ourselves too thin. And cause I mean, I was reading, I think it was hard energy. A lot of banks are going to assume a bunch of assets and actually start generating like companies within the banks to start then becoming operators and like hiring executives from oil and gas companies to work for the banks and create these, these companies. Um, yeah, which is very interesting to me. And so as a salesman, it's like, I'm gonna walk into a bank and ask for a drilling engineer. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But that's what you start seeing in a conferences, especially when I like went to Doug conferences and stuff and we had booths there. You do have a lot of those, you know, banker investor type people that don't know anything about the oil and gas industry that want to learn, right? They want to yeah. get, they want to get a piece of that pie. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I could see that. Yeah, you never know. It's it's going to change regardless. We just have to be mm-hmm. willing to adapt, which yeah. I think people in oil and gas are. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we are a type of people that have been bred to <laughs> be resilient, be able yeah. to overcome a lot of downturns. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I have only been in the industry 12 years and I feel like I, I entered in 2008 when it was horrible times and mm-hmm. 2015 was not cool. And, yeah. yeah. I hear you. So, no, that's, 
Those are all great points. Well, I want to respect your time, but I do have yeah. a couple last questions that uh, more relate to the personal side of things. So yeah. either one of you can answer, but do either one of you have any daily habits or routines, especially right now during the quarantine? You know, for the first while, I literally would get up, throw my shorts on, brew a cup of coffee, brush my teeth, sit down. And like, that was totally not the routine I normally would have, but now I've kind of generated my own. But do you guys have anything that you kind of stick to to make you feel normal or anything like that? <laughs> So I just started something that's kind of funny that okay. I'm going to do this every morning. So my, we wake up super early in our household. I'm talking okay. four o'clock in the morning Okay. and we do tap dancing. Nice. So my daughter, my six year old okay. and I, and so I was telling you, Angie, last night I, mm -hmm. I had my zoom tap dancing class and wow. I realized I need a lot of work and it's a great way for me to connect with my six year old. So okay. we're waking up at the wee hours of the morning and taking tap dancing classes online. So your six-year-old yeah. likes to tap dance? She does tap dance, yeah. Oh, she does tap dancing. So she does tap dance, so she's oh. better than I am, but yeah. Wow, okay, so waking so, up at four in the morning to do tap dancing, that's a, yeah. that's a new one. Yeah. But hey, that's, <laughs> if it's quality time with your family and your daughter likes it, good for you. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. What yeah. about you, Angie? Have you adopted oh, any yeah. unique I'm, I routines? could not be more opposite than Elizabeth as far as that. Okay. Um, my entire family is night owls. Like we stay up until three or four o'clock in the morning, many nights, right? Yeah. You know, all of us are super, I mean, I get most of my work and I'm most productive, like after it's, it's peaceful and quiet, right? Okay. So, you know, I mean, yeah, we're totally opposite. <laughs> Sounds like it. So she knows not to send me a, a meeting request for, you know, 7am because I'm <laughs> probably going to tell her absolutely not. Yeah. No, I would probably do it anyway. I think that's part of working the oil field, right? Is mm -hmm. that you learn to sleep on just a few hours and, you know, take a nap when you can catch it in your pickup, whatever, you know, so <laughs> we've learned to adapt, but yeah, I wish, I wish we were more consistent with some things. I think the last couple of weeks we've kind of gotten more into a groove now that my daughter's actually back in school, right? Yeah. So it's online. But now that she's got, you know, her homework to do every day and things like that, I think the only consistent thing that we've been doing, and we did this prior anyway, was, you know, having dinner around the table. I think that's, cool. you know, we've done that for years. My parents actually live in an attached part of our house. Oh, wow. So they have their own little house and kitchen and everything. And so me and my mom kind of manage the, the cooking responsibilities and we kind of take turns. And that would be our, our one consistent thing that we kept doing because it's, it's a great opportunity to connect with family, talk about, you know, what's going on in, with COVID and what's going on with Grace's school and, you know, everything else is going on. So yeah, know the family time and being consistent with that is, is certainly helpful. And, and again, it keeps the sort of the household dynamic strong and, you know, there's household culture. And, and right now I think we need family just as much as we need anything else. So I can certainly mm -hmm. appreciate that. For each of you, I just have one more question. Is there a message you'd like to relay, assuming everyone in energy is listening right now? I would say don't be afraid to network online. Cool. Do not let COVID-19, especially if you've lost your job, be a reason why you cannot be out there networking. And when you're networking, network with purpose and Network to get to know the other person and build relationships, not and help people. Mm -hmm. Always offer as much help as you can to people that you meet rather than asking for something. But don't be afraid yes. to ask for something either. Right. No, that's a great answer. Angie, what about you? Yeah, so definitely agree with Elizabeth on that. I think it's a great opportunity to take advantage of the one-on-one -on -one conversations you can have via video 
So you can, you know, these Zoom chats, you know, WebExes, Skypes, you know, whatever, whatever you have accessible to you. It's super easy. Everyone knows there's going to be technology challenges. So just go for it and do it. You'll get through those technology challenges. It's actually pretty easy. But I think the biggest thing for me right now is to, you know, tell everybody to be creative right now. We are going to be entering into a whole new world, right? Like we are people that have adapted and have seen change and we have seen highs and lows. And I think when I graduated, it was $14 oil. And, and that sounds crazy. Like when I got, went back and looked at it, I don't remember it being that bad because we could operate under those numbers because it was conventional. Right. It was these shallow wells. You know, the horsepower wasn't the same. I mean, I would do three fracks in a day, you know, they'd be an hour long pump time. So totally different, you know, economic situation. But now is the time to, to realize it's going to change. It's not going to be the same. And just be creative. What can we bring to the table when, this, when we do get back to living a new normal? What can we bring to the table? What creative new technology or new way of approaching the issues and problems that we'll continue to have in this industry? Yes. You know, whether it be regulatory issues or you know, supply issues and things like that. So now's the time to just get creative. Those are great messages, ladies. I really appreciate that. Well, look, there's a couple of sort of house cleaning things I'd like to announce. Obviously, so if anyone out there in the Houston area is interested in playing oil field hockey, once the quarantine's over, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And again, if you're looking to get in shape and you're sick and tired of insanity or whatever it is you're doing in your home, for all the folks out there that are around Katy, Texas, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. And also for the OGGN events coming up, I will let our lovely ladies explain that. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. All right. Thanks. And so Angie and Elizabeth, thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited to see what you guys are doing, all the work you've put in, willingness to help others during these times. It's certainly respectable. And so I wish nothing but the best for you guys. If there's anything I can do to help you guys, let me know. If you would send me any links that you would like for me to put in the show notes, that way people have quick access to you know different events or, or whatever websites or things that they can see what you guys are doing and we'll put them in there. So Sounds great. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate having yeah. us on. Yeah. You, awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And for everyone out there, I appreciate everyone listening. And always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.